We're in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and following. We're going to finish up the, uh, Matthew chapter 1. For those of you who weren't here last week, you might be glad because we read the genealogy, which is not always the most exciting portion of Scripture, but nonetheless, it's God's Word. So you're hopefully encouraged by the preaching of it. Hear now the Word of our God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let us pray. Father, this morning we touch upon the unbelievable that is yet to be believed by us this morning. I am reminded uh, of C.S. Lewis's famous assessment that he repeats in a similar form in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that it rings true here that Matthew must also be either a lunatic or a liar because he presents Jesus as the Lord of all. Humble us before this text that we might not judge it, but understand it and then believe it. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, who was both God and man for our salvation. Amen. We just had a birth in our congregation, and we have another coming soon in February. It is February, right? Okay. And typically, we go and we ask the mom-to-be, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Because we know, or at least us guys, we think, or we hear from our wives who have been pregnant, that being pregnant can be rather difficult at times that it is not an easy process to have this new life gestating in your body. It's fun when we feel the first kicks, but sometimes when they're bouncing on your bladder, not so much fun. <laughs> and the, 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 the way that the, the shape of your body changes and the distribution of weight shifts and everything else and the way your back hurts and it's so hard to sleep towards the end, all of these things make for great difficulty. What's interesting here in this text is that it does not focus on the difficulty of the mother, but it focuses upon the difficulty of the man, 
not really the father by birth. But Matthew tells the story from Joseph's perspective. And in the midst of his perspective, we will find that there are great obstacles going on that cause him great pain and anxiety. And so this birth was not just difficult and traumatic for Mary, but it was also difficult and traumatic for Joseph. The big idea this morning is that God came in person to save from sin. And the first part of that truth is that Jesus, though he's fully human, because as we saw, as it ended last week in that genealogy, he was born of Mary, he was a person, he was a human person, he is also fully God. And this passage that we're looking at this morning repeats the same, one of the same words that we saw at the very beginning of chapter 1. Remember, it says, in the book of the Genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, here it says in 18, now the Genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, came about this way. He's talking here about the beginning, the origin, or the descent of Jesus. And he's telling us how this all played out in space and time, or at least how Joseph was interacting with all of this. But it starts with the reality that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. No one really uses that word much anymore, do they? It's kind of gotten lost in antiquity or something. Betrothed. Engaged. Okay, but their experience, their cultural practice of engagement was a little bit different from our cultural practice of engagement. Theirs was typically the course of one year. And so you'd be, there would be a bride price that is paid. That's why now we usually give, I don't have it, my wife has it, the engagement ring. <laughs> That's the bride price. That, that says, here, I can support you. I can take care of you. I have a ring that is valuable, a bride price. Then it went to the dad, not to the, the woman. So the dads probably are very disappointed now. <laughs> they don't get enriched for the, 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 the person that they're losing in their family. The woman gets enriched in our particular case. But it is far more binding in their culture than it was in our culture. It was as if you were married when you were betrothed. We see in places like Deuteronomy 22, which talks about the unfortunate incident of if a woman is attacked in the wilderness... It says, this woman who was betrothed, and yet at the end it says, wife. She is still considered the man's wife, even though they have not yet consummated the marriage. And so it was far more binding. It wasn't just, ah, you know, I don't want to marry you anymore, here's your ring. But actually they had to issue a certificate of divorce if it all fell apart. Far more binding than it is in our culture today. And so these two people are betrothed. They are engaged to be married. The consummation is coming within a year, but it has not happened yet. Matthew makes it clear that they had not yet come together. We understand what that means, right? That there was no, as we could say, a no premature consummation of this marriage. She was living with her family. He was living with his family and preparing for the day in which he would bring her into his house. They had not yet been together as husband and wife, and yet something happens she is found to be with child. Not only is she found to be with child, but Joseph discovers that she is with child. Now, we do not know if they lived in the same community, so it may have been a little clumsier than anticipated. It might have been similar to a man who goes away to serve in a foreign country for a year and comes back and just finds out his wife's pregnant. 
what in the world happened here? Joseph does not know what happened. He does not know if she was assaulted. He did not know if she had cheated upon him. There was a great sense of uncertainty and I'm sure anger and anxiety that is going on with Joseph. I remember when I was in college and one of my girlfriends cheated on me. I was ticked. I was devastated. For months I was just moping around and I can see Joseph sort of experiencing these same sorts of things. What happened? Do I even know this person anymore? What is going on? Now, the text says that this was from the Holy Spirit. It repeats this twice in case we missed it the first time. In the second time, it says that it was begotten, this child was begotten from the Holy Spirit. And so this idea that the Spirit was involved in the conception of this child in a supernatural function. If you look at your reflection at the beginning of this worship service, on your, on your order of worship, you will see a phrase there that God neither begets nor is begotten. And that was a very important thing when the Muslims had come and had taken over Asia Minor. They converted a lot of the cathedrals into mosques and they carved this thing, this phrase, into all of the foundations of all of these cathedrals because they were scandalized by the idea that Jesus was God. They viewed him merely as a prophet, just as many Jews do today. They view him as a, as a great rabbi, and that's it. But the scandal of, of this whole event is that he's not just that. He is fully human, but he also was begotten by the Holy Spirit. This text does not allow us to say that Jesus is just a good man, just a righteous man, just a wise man, but this text points us in that direction that He is also God. That there is something unique about Him that we cannot say about ourselves. But here's the thing. Mary knew this. From Luke's Gospel, we know that the angels came and revealed this to her prior to her being, becoming pregnant. So she knew what was going on, but he did not know what was going on. And I'm sure you can imagine that conversation. He comes to the door, he says, Mary, we need to talk. He says, I hear the word on the street is you're pregnant. What's going on? And she says, the angel came. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have a baby. I'm carrying the Lord we've been waiting for. And he's probably going to go, are you nuts? Now, he believed in angels. Okay? That, that probably would, but that an angel would show up to his betrothed, to his wife, he wasn't really expecting that. I remember having one of those moments when someone wouldn't believe me. I had been at a party when I was in uh, high school. My curfew was 1 a.m. on a weekend. I, it shouldn't have been 1 a.m. <laughs> Either way, at some point in the party, I realized, you know, my watch has been saying 11.10 for a long time. <laughs> Looked at a clock up on the wall and realized it was after 1. Called my parents. I just realized it's after 1. I'll be right home. Okay? I'm Okay. I'm coming home. I hadn't driven to the party, got someone to drive me back, and I, I come home, and I go down, as was common, I would go downstairs to the basement, which was a finished family room, and I went to watch TV. And usually this was not the case. My father was there. 
And he says to me, do you really expect me to believe your story? So I took off my watch. (laughs) It's still blinking. (laughs) It still says 1110. My story is unbelievable, and yet there is evidence for my story. Her story was unbelievable. There's no way that he would have believed it. He would have accepted it. And in fact, we find that probably after talking with her, he didn't. The scripture says that he was a just man. And it's interesting to me that some commentators take this in like, he was a hard man. I don't get that sense about Joseph based on what he was going to do that he was a hard man. My conviction instead, rather, is that he he was like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, that, that Joseph believed in God's promises, and as a result of that, he tried to walk blamelessly before God with integrity. And so he was very concerned. Joseph wants to do the right thing by God, and he wants to do the right thing by Mary, if that is at all too po- at all possible. And so the scripture says that basically he was considering this. He didn't come to a snap decision. He spent time. He was thinking about it. He was probably up late at night going over this in his mind. What is it I should do? I don't know what course to take. When Amy was pregnant, we had one of those nights. We didn't know. The first ultrasound was good. I cried in the middle of it. Amy thought it was because our daughter was, not, was a daughter and not a son because I had wanted a boy to go, you know, I'm a guy. I want to go play sports and teach stuff with my son and all this. And we find out, oh, it's a girl. And I'm crying. And she's like, are you sad? I'm like, no, I'm happy. <laughs> I was overcome with joy. I was like, I got a little girl. I didn't expect that reaction from myself, but I was so pleased. It, just, it made the fact of Amy being pregnant real to me, being able to see this little thing on the monitor. The second ultrasound did not go so well. We didn't know exactly what the problem was, but they said, we have to schedule you with an ultrasound in Lakeland, which was a bigger city nearby, where they have a more advanced ultrasound system because something is wrong. And they said, the numbers aren't matching up. Your daughter isn't growing. And they couldn't get us in until the next day. So it wasn't like we just could hop into the car and drive 45 minutes to Lakeland and get the test and we know what's going on. We spent an agonizing night kind of going, what is happening with our daughter? We were scared like you wouldn't believe. And I think that's a lot of what Joseph experienced. A toss, tossing night in which he doesn't know what to do. And he ends up deciding that what he will do is that he is going to divorce her. He's going to issue the certificate as he has told. But instead of doing this in public, he's going to take the minimum two witnesses. That's all you needed in that day for a divorce. You didn't have to go before the judge. You didn't have to go before the elders. But you would have the certificate of divorce and and you would go and here you go. But you got Fred and Joe over here making sure that there's witnesses that you gave it. So he's trying to do this as quietly as possible to minimize the damage to Mary. Although it's great damage, nonetheless. Because then she would be 
a single mom, which was far more difficult in that day than it is in this day. Maybe her family would help her, but probably not. And she would be at the mercy of those who gave out alms to the poor. The unbelievable happens. A divine baby, and this immediately puts Messiah at risk. What would happen in light of this? But beyond that, we see that Jesus, fully human, also fully God, in addition to that, Jesus was, is, and will be God with us. Where we have Luke's gospel being filled with songs, it's almost like those Broadway musicals that I personally don't like. Okay? You know, people walking down the street, and all of a sudden it's, I'm singing in the rain. It's like, I can't deal with that. Okay? (laughs) So that's kind of like the early part of Luke, is... The angel shows up, and all of a sudden, someone's singing, whether it's Zechariah or Mary. You have Simeon singing in the temple, and all the, everyone's singing songs. Here we have dreams. There's always a dream. The angel comes not like in, in Luke, where you know, Mary is awake, the angel shows up and talks to her, and then she sings a song. But here, it's that the angel appears in the dream. Don't know what that says about Joseph. Maybe Joseph is more like me. I don't know. But he has a dream. And it's not because he had some bad falafel the night before. But the angel appeared to Joseph in dreams at these significant moments in order to guide him and correct him through this mess that he's engaging in and being what ultimately will be the adopted father of the Messiah. God is at work through Joseph to protect the eternal Son of God while in his helpless state as a child. That's what's going on here. And so it is in the course of his first dream, his first encounter with the angel, that God says, I'm interrupting your plan. You are not to divorce her. Instead, don't be afraid to take her to be your wife. Continue with your plans in this wedding. Because Joseph, I he's not saying this, but this is the implication, I have chosen you just as I have chosen Mary to be my vessel to bring about the salvation of the world. Joseph is just as chosen for this task as Mary. He he has to believe just as much as Mary had to believe that the unthinkable, the unimaginable was happening. And so God in this dream through the angel tells him, she has not been unfaithful, she has not been violated, this is rather the work of God. And this is where that phrase, that he was that this child was begotten by the Holy Spirit. And last week on Sunday afternoon, I was reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to my kids and uh, came across something that reminded me of that. And I was like, I wish I would have read this before my sermon. However, I thought I highlighted it. Okay, yeah, here it is. And this is probably very similar to what Joseph would, would have encountered. Because Joseph, as a righteous, believing Jew, had hope that the son of David was going to come. He had hope in the promises of God, and he was waiting for him. But yet, it's been 400 years since there's been a prophet who has written. And so he's beginning to wonder, will this ever happen? And so the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe 
Little Lucy is the first through the wardrobe into Narnia, and she encounters Mr. Tumnus, the fawn, who at first is going to betray her to the, wick, to the witch, but then decides not to. And we, we find this little uh, dialogue. Um, if I don't betray you, he said, beginning to cry again, she, the white witch, is sure to find out, and she'll have my tail cut off, and my horns sewn off, and my beard plucked out, and she'll wave her hand and try to turn beautiful cloven hooves uh, and turn them into horrid, solid hooves like a wretched horse's. And if she is extra and especially angry, she'll turn me into stone, and I shall be a statue of a fawn in her horrible house until the four thrones at Cayer Paravel are filled. And goodness knows when that will happen or whether it will ever happen at all. He knows the promise that is there and yet he struggles to believe and he begins and Mr. Tumnus doubts that it will ever happen even though he has just encountered one of the four people who is going to sit upon the throne of Kair Paraval. Joseph. Same way. He's believed in this promise. He's probably begin to kind of, is this really going to happen? I mean, we've been waiting all this time. And now an angel comes to reassure him that this indeed is the time. The fullness of time has come. It is now. It's happening. Mo, Mo, uh, Matthew, rather, focuses uh, on this as a fulfillment of the Scripture, as a fulfillment of the prophetic word that was given to Isaiah uh, 800 years ago. He quotes it. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That word there, virgin, a controversial word to say the least. The Hebrew text, the word is uh, alam, and it can signify either a virgin or a young woman. And so this is part of the controversy between uh, educated Jewish people and Christians is, well, it can mean young woman. That's all it means, young woman. But what we have here is that Matthew, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does not choose a vague word like Alam. He chooses a specific word. He clarifies what is intended there in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Isaiah, with the word virgin. There's no such range of meaning for this word. It means only this in the usage that we found in classical Greek. But there's more than just that. What we find is how the, the, the New Testament utilizes the Old Testament. Because as we read from that passage this morning, Marty did, and really was, it was meant to be a sign to the king of Judah that indeed this alliance that had been raised against them will not succeed, but that God will come and deliver them. And so what happened is Isaiah is pointing to a young woman will have a child. And before that child is old enough to know right from wrong, you will know, you will be delivered from these kings. And so, Matthew is using that Old Testament promise or sign as a type of that which is to come. That really happened in the days of Isaiah. There was a young woman. She did have a baby. She, this baby was called Emmanuel because there was a sign that it was a sign, keyword, that God was with them in delivering them. Okay, 
That really happened, and that's what's essential for something to be a type. It really happens, but it points to something greater. And what Matthew is saying is the something greater is that there is a real virgin, not just a young woman, but a real virgin who gives birth. And not only does she give birth, but this child is not the sign that God is with us, but in reality is God with us. Do you see the shift? From something that is really good to something that is so much better. It wasn't like the Old Testament promise was okay. It was, you know, bad. It was really good. Even better. Much more amazing what God is about to do. Now, God really is with his people, says Matthew. He's here with us in the flesh. Just as it talks about in in John chapter 1 where it says things like this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we have a consistency here between Matthew and John that the Word who was God became man as well, dwelling with us in flesh, and bone, and blood, full of grace and truth. He is the only Son of the Father, the unique Son of the Father, fully God, but also fully man. And the fully man aspect comes here in that he fully identifies with humanity. Jesus shares our burdens. We hear about this in Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Okay? Um, So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. But let's just hit that one aspect. He had to be made like us in every respect, except as sinner. That's almost too much to think about. The almighty God becoming a helpless babe who couldn't do anything for himself. Who needs a guy named Joseph to watch out for him. And yet God was with us. This idea of God being with us, Emmanuel, is so important that Matthew also ends his gospel on this very same note. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, gives the great commission, and then he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so while he is not physically present with his people, he is spiritually present with his people. He still is Emmanuel for us. Let us remember this when we suffer. Let us remember this when we rejoice. Let us remember this important truth. And so God drew near to us in Jesus, and in Jesus God remains near, near to us through the Spirit. Third and last part of this, Jesus saves his people from their sin. We're going to kind of backtrack in the text a little bit. The angel reveals something else about this baby that is in Mary's womb. 
there is a significant reason why God draws near. He says, you shall name him Jesus, which, of course, is the Greek translation of Joshua or Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Joseph must give him this name. Man, I I wish I had an angel that showed up to me at some point and said what I was supposed to name my daughter. Our our name debates are legendary. Jaden had been around, had been out of the womb, and had been kicking around in the nursery there at the hospital for uh, the better part of a day. And they're like, hello, we need a name. (laughs) If you ever want to bring this child home, you must have a name. And I, I wasn't sure what to name her. Joseph had no such problem. There was no option. Amy presented me with three different names, and I had to pick one. There was no such options here. It wasn't God saying, uh, pick one from this list. He said, no, his name will be. You will call him this, because he will save his people from their sin. His name indicates his mission, that Jesus is the rescuer. That he is, in fact, the one that Joseph has been waiting for, longing for, praying about his entire life. But he is not here to rescue his people from Rome. He is here to rescue his people from their sin. And here's part of the, the rub of this whole thing, is that without the rescuer, God's presence is deadly to us. Because we are sinners, because we fall short of the glory of God, because we have earned the wages of death. Because we are sinners, we are allergic, so to speak, to the holy and the righteous God. And it's not just little allergic, big allergic. When Jaden was, I don't know, a year and a half, two years old, we gave her a little bit of peanuts. You know, you want to be gentle with these things with babies. And we quickly saw that little hives were popping up on her skin, and we decided not a good idea to give her peanuts. Okay? That's little allergic. If we were to force Alex to have a peanut, bad allergic. He's, even the thought of it, he's shaking. Deathly allergic. That's what I'm talking about. That sinners cannot be in the presence of the holy and righteous God and live. And the scary part is, is God is coming. He is going to be with us. And this is not necessarily good news. (laughs) It is serious news. Sin is so serious that the eternal Son took on flesh and affliction for us so that we could, in fact, stand in the presence of God and not be consumed by the all-consuming fire. Hebrews 2 draws that strong connection between the necessity of the incarnation and our salvation from sin. I read part of it. Therefore, he will be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
It was necessary for him to draw near in the flesh that he might make atonement or propitiation for the sins of his people. And so that purpose is there from the very beginning. It was not an accident that he went to the cross, but it was part of God's eternal design. And it is mentioned even here at the beginning. Our sin is so serious that the shadow of the cross is present even while Jesus is in the womb. Joseph hears about this while the baby's in the womb. Danger is present. One of the things that we did not know that was going on in the womb was potential danger for our daughter. It turned out okay with the size thing. Yeah, she was born a little small. But what we didn't realize is that, hey, you know, I have Mediterranean blood and jaundice is a problem with those people. So she had very high bilirubin levels. Yeah, anyone know what a bilirubin is? Uh, I didn't care until I had a daughter with jaundice. And the, the insurance company was trying not to pay for the, the treatment, and we're like, oh, let's go online and see what it says. Oh, this can result in brain damage. Oh, nice. So you're saying you don't want to treat my daughter? You want to destroy that nice little brain of hers? Serious stuff. The serious stuff was hanging over Jesus, even in the womb, according to the testimony of the angel. Isn't it amazing, though, that to rescue his people, God did not send a lackey. He himself showed up. He himself drew near. John Frame talks about the the lordship attributes, and the the attributes, so to speak, of authority and control are revealed in the first part of chapter 1 here, in that Jesus is king. He has authority. He has, he has control. The third lordship attribute is presence, that God is not just out there, but he is with his people acting in their midst. Incarnation. Savior. He's not just here, but he's here to save, to deliver from here. And so what happens in the rest of this story is that Joseph takes a hit for the Savior and Mary. He suffers so that the Son of God will one day suffer. Joseph endures the scorn. Joseph endures the whispers. He obediently takes Mary into his home. But here's the thing. Here's one of the nice things it says. He did not know her. That, you know, wife and husband thing. Until... She had given birth. Okay? This is not, she's perpetually a virgin like some people try to teach. Just not until after he was born. Jesus had real flesh and blood brothers. Okay? But Joseph guarded her purity. And not only that, but he obediently names the child, therefore adopting this child. And therefore, Jesus legally enters into David's line through this adoption. And so, in fact, Joseph's line becomes Jesus' line. He has a right to the throne. So, big picture here. God's plan to provide a Messiah was not easy to believe, especially if you're Joseph. Joseph is caught in the middle. 
But as a man of great faith, he obediently suffers. So one day the Savior will suffer. God drew near to be with us, to suffer with us, and to suffer for us, to save us from our sin. Do we believe that? Let's pray. Father, uh, let us not overlook the incredible realities that the Incarnation introduces us to. That Jesus is in fact Emmanuel, God with us. Not only is He for us, as uh, Paul says in Romans, but He is with us, though we see Him not. Help us to believe this each day, regardless of what it brings. Not only is He Emmanuel, but He is Joshua. Yahweh, who saves sinners, of whom we are the worst. And so help us to believe that He is sufficient to bring us back to You. And we ask these things in His name, which You have exalted above all things that are in heaven and on earth, so that all will bow and confess Him as Lord, God, Yahweh. Amen.